how has gay representation evolved in Hollywood movie making? Today I'm talking about the celluloid closet. This is Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. movie friends and welcome to scott's self-indulgent movie podcast i am scott and today i am talking about a documentary from the mid-90s called the celluloid closet now the celluloid closet is i would say it's kind of like an installment it is an incomplete history of gay representation in hollywood movie making over the years and the thing that I think is so great is that this film is kind of operates as a history while talking to a number of gay people to talk about what they liked or what they didn't like about things and, you know, the kinds of characters that gay people portrayed or how they were portrayed. And yeah, I think, I think it's very insightful. Now, it's interesting, especially because it came out in the mid-90s, so it's kind of a time capsule of where everything was so it's noteworthy that i would say that the number of gay performers is down and so you do get interviews with people who were in movies portraying gay characters some perhaps more than you would expect such as tom hanks who had recently just starred in philadelphia at the time of this this movie was made so that's what i found so fascinating and there's a couple of things I wanted to highlight about this film. And one of the first things is just the differing reactions to the stereotypes. So, for instance, they talk a lot about how that there were there were different kinds of characters that could be coded gay. Um, and I'll get more into why that is. But one of them was uh, called the sissy, and that and that's the that's the kind of the the archetype rather more than anything else. And so this is the the quippy one, the sassy one, the one who always has something to say and isn't very tough at all and always runs away. And you hear cer- some people say, "Oh, they just absolutely hate it. They cringe. They can't stand it." Whereas uh, you hear like Harvey Firestein be like, "Oh, I love him. I love the sissy because I just loved anything." which is its own point of view saying that like just tack tacked on to anything any sort of representation whether it was good bad anything that they could see themselves in so that definitely represents kind of the, the disparate reactions and the other thing that i think is so important in terms of like oh why are why did you have villains who were coded gay or why did you have gay subtext, but not overt gay subtext, or you know things that were never said out loud? And a lot of that comes down to the Hayes Code. And this is one of the best examples of, I say, like just kind of laying out why the Hayes Code came to be and where, why it became so influential. So the basic gist was that Hollywood movie making around the 20s and 30s and even the early 40s was kind of pushing the envelope, kind of in perpetuity. So more sex, more violence, more everything. And there were a number of religious organizations, both uh, you know evangelical Christians and especially the Catholic League, that did not want people to see these movies. And so they threatened a boycott unless, you know, kind of a mass boycott of Hollywood films unless there was a standard that was met to. And so they basically picked a very low person on the totem pole and... Uh, they picked a very low person on the totem pole in the, I forget which administration it was, and then and that his name was Hayes, and he's the one that came up with it. And so 
and then one of the things was like, oh, everything has to be morally upstanding, and basically featured a section that said if you, not if you imply, but if you say a character is gay, that's not okay. <laughs> and so, and so kind of talking about the evolution of that, and then how Some Like It Hot was a big deal, because not only did you have men in drag, but you also had the famous uh, Nobody's Perfect end line. So there was which actually was just considered like the breaking of the Hayes Code, even though it had already been kind of snapped, but it was such a big hit that it became the movie that broke the Hayes Code. But I think it's very interesting, especially listening to uh, people. And like there are certain, for instance, characters that I didn't really know that, or characters or things that were written, they were intentionally written to be gay characters. So for instance, in The Maltese Falcon, it's actually uh, Peter Lorre's character, is written as a gay as a gay man but they can say that in the film so it's all coded and he's one of the like deemed one of the progenitors that character is deemed one of the progenitors of the uh you know the gay coded villain which is interesting because he's just supposed to be gay <laughs> in the in the book which is interesting that the book is more straightforward and then it's also interesting to hear the screenwriter of Ben-Hur talk about how he refused, how he told uh, one of the actors, like, hey, it's like, you're going to, you, you had previously had a relationship with Ben-Hur, uh, but I'm not telling Heston that <laughs> because he wouldn't take it well. So I found all of that that much very fascinating. And it's interesting how um, things have evolved. And in particular, it's noteworthy that after the, there's, after each period of kind of acceptance, there is this immediate vilification. So, you know, in the 60s and 70s, they started trying to break taboos and just kind of openly having gay people uh, represented on screen and nothing necessarily bad or tragic. And even if it might be a stereotype, at least they're there. But then it quickly turns into predators, vilification, and there's the infamous uh, movie Cruising, which was deemed to be like, oh, this is what gay life is really like. Uh, which showed up like leather bars and stuff like that, but you had people getting harassed because, you know, talking about how they got harassed because of that film. So it really just highlights the need to constantly evolve and to represent things as responsibly as possible and always be open to criticism because you can, you know, some of the stories are very harrowing and it's also interesting how tactical you have to be sometimes to break barriers. And it's very interesting that Tom Hanks is self-aware enough, even in like 1990, 94, 95, whenever this was filmed, to say one of the big reasons why he works in Philadelphia is because he's like, he says, I've never been threatening any time I've entered a room any point in my life. So little Tommy Hanks being gay, a gay guy who is diagnosed with HIV AIDS, is not threatening. So... Very, very telling. But overall, I think the documentary is very good. Uh, I think it just went off the Criterion channel, but my guess is it'll show up again. But highly recommend it if you get the chance. And I would be cur- I would be curious if they could do a follow-up moving forward because there's been plenty. Um, there's been plenty of other documentaries like this. Um, I'm forgetting the name of the one, but it's about uh, trans representation in film and t- television. But I would definitely that one's on Netflix, so definitely check that one out. So, yeah. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and thank you for listening, and I'll catch you next time. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World, for the latest discussion, reviews, and more. Stay safe, everybody, and I'll catch you next time.